Hi. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Current Account podcast. I'm your host Hamsini Kartik and we're here today to talk about a very very interesting topic. You must be reading it on paper almost every day, hearing it around you quite frequently and it's about private credit. What exactly is private credit? Is it the same private equity money which is coming in in the debt format or who are these people who are having the deep pockets or the extreme necessity to borrow at steep rates vis-a-vis bank rates why is it that covenants or the loan terms in private credit a lot more stringent compared to normal bank funding well these are some questions that a lot of us have when we hear about private credit and to debunk all of that is manisha shroff who's joining us on this podcast manisha is a partner at khetan and company and she has her expertise in the bfsi space thank you so much for joining in manisha thank you manisha for joining in and helping us out decode a topic which is gaining a lot of popularity in the market today that of private credit so what exactly is private credit is it private equity funds getting packaged into debt and therefore being called private credit not not fully there are many other players who are now joining into the game but let me just start from you know what is private debt what is private credit mm-hmm. simply put it is basically a non bank lending it may be a private equity uh, credit fund which has been established or it may be other players through other investment routes like aif fpi mm-hmm. investing into uh, into basically high yield securities uh and mostly illiquid investments essentially they will be debt like instruments but they will not be very easily tradable because it will have a lot of features which may not be for everybody let's put it that way it it fills a funding gap where bank lending is not available to some of the underserved uh mm. corporates uh the larger corporates have no issues raising money through bank lending or through capital market but there are many sectors which uh, are not serviced by them so this mm. sort of comes in and helps out in that place secondly like a little bit of uh activities like acquisition finance which have lot of end use restrictions by bank mm. lenders it mm. fills the gap for that as well or right. sponsors struggling to raise money uh because the company is at the moment not doing so well but has good projections so those yeah. sort of companies are able to raise the funding with lot of flexible terms that they do not have to repay it immediately when the company starts doing well you start slowly start repaying that money so it gives a lot of flexibility in that sense mm-hmm. yeah usually not in the form of a loan agreement etc it comes mm-hmm. in the form of a debt instrument or a hybrid instrument which has uh, seniority okay it is senior to the other debt which is lying in the company because at the end of the day it has to be repaid and uh, it has to have uh, features built in which do not leave these lenders high and dry so there are strong covenants built in and uh, there is a lot of collateral given on these loans as well yeah, it yeah, is right. yeah it is not an unsecured instrument which is usually issued in these circumstances so somebody who would not in the normal channel very easily get access to bank funds can look at this provided there is adequate muscle power or a- adequate asset backing 
for the particular person or the company to sort of tap this market because these would also typically come at much steeper interest rates compared to a bank loans which could go up to at best 13% in today's market yeah that's absolutely right and they do tend to be expensive as compared to bank lending or normal capital markets lending because they do give that flexibility you're absolutely right it has collateral always built in it is never an unsecured indebtedness which is given perfect yeah. one other thing that i'm trying to understand here is that in the nature of being secured usually these loans carry a slightly a smaller coupon uh, compared to unsecured loans so what is it that these uh, players the private credit players are taking as an add on risk that the coupon is uh, fairly higher for them so depending on the security the interest rate does reduce but compared to a bank loan the interest is always high in a private credit scenario they are taking high risk so they want high return they are taking high risk because they are not yeah high risk in the sense that that company may not be performing to the par or at the level which it should be performing or it may be a new company which has very good prospects but at the moment cannot attract bank lending because it has not achieved enough growth for it to become attractive for banks high risk because there is slight uncertainty of the entire principle of the investment coming back in this situation for example if the projections do not work out the way that you think it may work out it doesn't go according to the business plan of that entity there are a lot of startup companies which very often breed uh, getting access to private credit infrastructure is another space if i'm not wrong which is opening up in the private credit space is my understanding right and what are what are the additional sectors pulled on to this list yeah so this is basically not startup yet startups with a little bit of scale who have achieved a bit more scale are you can say there is interest coming because after their equity funding rounds are done then they will go for debt funding after they have scaled up a bit so they are not really as attractive for private credit players infrastructure not all sectors renewables is attracting a lot of interest from them secondly it is real estate players who are attracting a lot of private credit interest thirdly i would say companies which are in real high growth phase and which have a very very good projection are attracting them but they are not yet large corporates they are mid size they have not achieved investment grade ratings so those will sort of attract this kind of uh, credit you mentioned about all the sectors that normally access funding through this mode let's also touch upon the covenants then you mentioned that the covenants are a lot more stringent what gets called for as security also tends to be a little more than normal banking channel so why are the covenants the way they are and how do they become stringent really many of them are protective in nature they need to provide greater structural protections in this particular case because it may be a borrower who's in financial difficulties it may be a company who has not scaled up and uh, while it is being given good terms the lenders also want a protective sort of structure where they can get the returns that they are expecting from this loan and in case things go south then they should be able to enforce it in a manner such that uh, structurally they are able to get all of the money back 
otherwise they can call on capital a call on yes. equity a stake in the company including uh, which could go up to a majority stake how could they be i mean if you could give us yeah so they usually are structured not as call on the capitals but it is like the pledge of shares of that entity would have okay. been taken 100% Mm. and in a going bad situation you can do a change of control of that company and take control of that company and in cases of real estate companies for example it is usually a spv which has a project yes. right mm. so mm. there are step in rights which are built in where you can step into the project and get another developer to come and develop the project right. if they have not been successful so such level of uh, detail goes into such covenants to think of all the situations where things can go wrong all the protective rights are built in pledges one side secondly mortgage of assets mm-hmm. your hypothecation over receivables which mm-hmm. are your bank accounts essentially they are not touched in a good going good scenario these are all kicking in after there is an event of default yes. which happens mm-hmm. do they also mention stress very similar to how it is mentioned in banks zero plus dpd tolerance up to 30 dpd how does it all go yeah so they have very stringent financial covenants also built in and there will be a testing which is done quite regularly in many cases mm-hmm. it's quarterly in some cases it's also monthly and mm-hmm. whenever there is signs of uh, any sort of ratios not being met debt equity ratio or any mm-hmm. sort of financial uh, leverage ratio not being met then there are consequences which follow in in the form of you know interest rate hikes in that loan which is mm-hmm. the first thing which happens and if it goes on for too long it results in a default in that loan yeah so it's quite stringent in that sense and the monitoring is done quite strictly in these right. situations Right. I'll go back to where we started. You said a lot of private credit channelized through instruments like AIFs, etc. These uh, come under the uh, SEBI purview lately, and SEBI is attempting to make the norms stringent on these aspects. Right now, is SEBI the only quite governing authority as far as private credit is concerned? Does RBI also have a, a role to play in the process? and uh, in case of insolvency do they stand on the same uh, plane as a secured creditor of a like a bank would yeah taking the first question first most of the entities which are allowed to invest in private credit routes are through sebi regulated uh, vehicles like alternative investment funds and foreign portfolio investors ecbs are also permitted for which mm-hmm. you don't need any license that comes under rbi purview Right. So that can also be used, but the interest rate is capped, so it's not as attractive. Yes. So usually, private credit players don't prefer ECB routes at all. Mm. Uh, they usually come in through the SEBI governed routes. RBI mm. does have oversight on how much money comes and goes out of the country, as you know. So, uh, in terms of the limits of money which can come in through these routes, that is governed by RBI. Even for for the foreign portfolio invested route, AIF is a domestic fund, so not really having any sort of RBI oversight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And as far as the other question is concerned, with regard to insolvency, they have the same rights because, as I mentioned, they are secured. They are secured creditors. They have right. the same rights as as uh, any other secured creditor, and they fall in the same waterfall as the secured creditor. In fact, a lot of efforts are made in the documentation to make sure that they are in the same plane as all yeah. the other bank lenders. And usually, they also use. 
listed debt instruments which right. have the same IBC and SARFAC rights which right. banks have. So okay. people do not prefer unsecured or, or unlisted papers because they don't have the same SARFAC benefits. So uh, much of this investment also flows in through bonds which get ultimately listed? Yes, I would say almost 60 to 70% of this market prefers listing because it gives SARFAC benefits. There are instances where unlisted is also done uh, because, but unlisted comes with some end use restrictions. For example, you can't uh-huh. use it for real estate. You can't uh-huh. use it for capital markets. For, so for example, if you want to leverage money and uh, buy a company in India, you can't do that if it's an unlisted instrument. But if it's a listed instrument, that is possible. Right. Just uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I presume even banks uh, who, who've set up AIFs and uh, set up alternatives to the uh, core banking uh, routes are quite active in this market. Is that the case, really? Uh, yes, they are quite active. Uh, in The only difference that we see is the, the ticket size of the uh, investment. Essentially, we have seen uh, private equity credit funds being able to write a big check Whereas bank deals, usually they are club deals. They are done with two or three other banks or with a PE credit fund and a bank in the mix. Plus, there are also sector restrictions where banks are lending. They do not lend to each sector. They can choose the deals. Okay. So the restrictions normally which a bank would face, these people do tend to go through that as well. In a sense. Yes. Yes. So that's why the uh, restrictions which a bank lender faces also creeps in into private credit investments made by them. Yeah, for sure. Okay. How big is the market currently and how do you envisage the market shaping up possibly 10 years from now? How would you size the market at present? Yeah, so I mean, there are stats available because this market has been quite popular. So Mm -hmm. last year, private credit transactions were more than USD $5.3 billion. Right. You know, so it's it was quite huge. The projection is that uh, there is a lot of dry powder lying around and uh, already uh, funds, both Indian and global funds have kept aside close to $3 billion or $4 billion uh, at the global funds end. And, and, and Indian funds also have kept $3 billion aside for private credit investments in the coming year or years, you can say. So it's there is a lot of funding gap also which Mm. the banks uh, are not funding. So that gap also is huge, uh, which uh, needs to be filled up. The players which will fill it up is the NBFC sector, which does quite a bit of uh, not private credit transactions, but NBFC fundings and the rest of it will be filled up by private credit players. Private credit players. Yeah. Right, right. Intermittently, we also saw that, uh, you know, there was a dry uh, patch uh, in terms of private equity money flowing in. And yeah. uh, the presumption at that point in time was that maybe equity is going to get masked as uh, debt and uh, uh, come in through a more secure, uh, in a more secure manner. Some sense that was that was not a wrong inference to make because we saw that happen. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, startups, especially raise Series D and uh, uh, the next round through debt platforms rather than uh, equity platforms. Do you in the long run see this as a standalone vehicle or the, the kind of substitution effect that we saw in the last one, one and a half years? Do you expect that to somewhere play out? Maybe once equity has better uh, propensity for risk, 
debt may die down because at the end of the day equity gives you a different currency which debt is with debt is very difficult to achieve yeah that's absolutely true the only one point uh, to note is equity means promoters parting with stake in the company yes uh, which in a debt transaction is never the case unless the company goes belly up right yeah. because only through security enforcement you can take over the company in private equity transactions there is expectation of equity initially as well as down the line when the company goes for an ipo or pre ipo there will be expectations that there will be equity which is changing hands and promoter is basically diluting its stake which right. will never happen so that is why i do not see this playing out that even if private equity becomes super active again and every type of company is being invested into that this capital will not be required this will i think gain more and more popularity because once you have taken this debt this is not more than a 3 to 5 year tenure debt once it gets paid out the promoter is done he doesn't need to part with any equity and mm-hmm. he There has a very clear exit right at the point of entry with yes. the short returns through the tenure that's right and it is a win win for both of them because right. they have made their returns which is all your uh, uh, investors have made their return the promoter when it was in need of the money and uh, flexible money was able to get it and uh, he has to just pay it in a timely manner and he doesn't have to part with any equity so the way i see it this is going to be it is quite popular today it is going to stay this way in the coming future also despite the movement in the equity mna markets right perfect that's really nice thank you so much manisha for joining in pleasure is all mine thank you. with that it's a wrap on this edition of the current account podcast we'll come back to you in a fortnight with an equally interesting topic till then do take care and keep listening to more of vl podcast